Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Praise God. What a great day to be together. Amen. I just want to commend you all. You, uh, you fought through the adversity today, right? I mean, you got up in the, in the midst of this cold weather that we, we have today all of a sudden and the rainy, messy stuff outside, and you said, I'm not going to let that stop me, right? That's what you did. Uh, or are you still awake? Anybody in this room still awake with me? You said, I will not let that hold me back. I can't wait to get to church, and I can't wait to be with my family in faith and, and worship God and celebrate and have a great day. Is that right? That's what you did. And, man, I can tell you right now that so far you're saying, I made the right choice. Come on, right? Okay, that's about 10 of you. What about the rest of you? I made the right choice, right? How about turning to somebody next to you and saying, man, you're looking good today. Now turn to the other per- person on the other side and tell them the same thing. We don't, we don't want them to get jealous or feel like they're left out and say, man, you are looking good today. <clears throat> now turn and tell them, say, I'm feeling good today. How about you? Come on, we'll Start a little conversation here. Ain't nothing like feeling good in the house of God and, and with, with God's people and God's family. A welcome to all of you that are watching via live stream. And, and those of you in the house, if you would, take out your handouts that you were hopefully given when you came through the front door and, and greeted with a big old smile and a, and a handshake and a, and a welcome to Connections. And on one side of that is a place to take notes, and you don't want to miss what God has to say. As Pastor Scott mentioned, we are, we are kicking off a brand-new study entitled Nehemiah. And I want to call this first message today, A Man Who Took It Personal. And I want to ask at the very beginning here, what seems to be broken and, and what's kind of shameful in your life right now? What's needed in your situation? What, what hurts that needs to be healed right now? And, and, and what's good? Let, let's look at this, this aspect of it as well. What's good but needs to be greater? And who is lost and needs to be found? Who desperately needs Jesus Christ in their lives right now. Well, in your life, the study is very personal. And in our church, it's, it's for our Connections family and our nation. It's easy to see where we're in a huge mess right now as, as a nation and a country. And in our world as a whole, this, this great need around the globe uh, is, is everywhere you, you go in this great big world of ours. So our study in this incredible book is a, a study about this. And I want you to write this down in your outline somewhere. It's a study about doing God's work God's way for God's glory. And man, that, that's the entire key to this, this, this life that we live. Doing God's work God's way for God's glory. Not for our glory, not to make us look good and, and, and put us up on a pedestal. Man, that is nothing. And that will come to nothing. But we live to glorify God and to spread his fame. So it's about daring to step up and be the change that is desperately needed. It's about seeing beyond the mess. And I love this. Beyond the mess to the miracle that's waiting on the other side. So as we journey through this account for the next six weeks or so, I want you to do so with a desire to follow Nehemiah's example and rise to the occasion to lead a revival wherever God points us to. Will you you take that personal? God, I want to be that person. I want to be that next Nehemiah, so to speak, that will step up to the plate and say, God, here I am. Count me in. I want to change history. I want to change the destiny and the future of lives all around me, God. I want to see revival come. Now, just to be honest with you up front, this is probably one of my all-time favorite books of the Bible, and Nehemiah is one of my all-time favorite people of the the Word. And, And a story like this always causes me to ask the very first question on your outline, 
and that is, who is this guy? You ever notice how when somebody steps up and does something heroic, does something out of the ordinary, does something that nobody else is willing to do, everybody kind of stops and says, who is that woman? Who is that guy? Who, who are they? Who, who in the world would dare to do that? And that kind of, kind of causes us to ask a question about Nehemiah as we're going to find out over the next few weeks. Well, the book is set in 5th century B.C., back when Dom was just a little child. And Judah is one of several provinces within a larger administrative unit within the, the Achaemenid uh, Empire. And the, the capital of the empire is, is a place called Susa. And Nehemiah is, is this. He's a cupbearer to the king Artaxas of, of Persia, an important official position in in the palace. So at his own request, Nehemiah is sent to Jerusalem as governor of Judah, Jerusalem, at this point in time in history, listen to this very carefully, had been conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and Nehemiah finds it still in ruins all these years later. And his task is to rebuild the walls and repopulate the city. In that day and time, if you were a prominent city, one of the things that you had was these big, huge security walls built around you, and they were kind of a, a source of, of security and strength and, and, and let people know that you're the real deal. I mean, you are the real deal. You've arrived as a place to, to live. But at this point in history, Jerusalem's city walls were torn down, and the, the whole place was in shambles, and it, it was just a mess. As I mentioned, he served as cupbearer for, for king Artaxerxes, and that's easy for me to say, which is a great position serving and living in the palace. Any of you ever visited London and ever got the opportunity to, to go and, and visit the royalty there, the queen and her palace, all that, then you kind of know. Maybe, maybe you've been to the Biltmore House. Anybody that's a little more in our, our reality realm, right? Been to Biltmore House, any hands in this room, and you kind of walk through there and thought, who lives here? I'm glad I don't have to change the toilet paper in all these, like, 50 bathrooms here. I mean, come on. So, so he had a very, very nice position in the palace, enjoying all the benefits of that. And the only drawback to his job was that if someone poisoned the beverage, then he was the one that was going to taste it, you know, and it was going to be kind of tough for him. But more than that, I want you to note this in your heart as you're going to see in this study. He was a passionate servant of God himself. As we're going to find out also, one more characteristic about Nehemiah I want to give you right here up front. He was a risk taker. How many of you put yourself in that category? Anybody? Not many? There's a few of you in here. You're, you're, you're willing to step out. You're willing to tear something up just to put it back together. You're willing to be the one that says, hey, I don't care if nobody else is doing it. I'm going to go give it a shot. Risk takers. Man, we need those desperately in the kingdom of God. But please, please, please don't miss this fact. Because what, what happens is when we, when we pack or unpack the, the stories of Scripture, we see these great men and women that step up and do something phenomenal and, and history-making. And we, we look at them in this sense of, they're not like me. We, we have this kind of, kind of thought process that goes, goes through our heads thinking, they aren't normal human beings. They aren't like, I, I am nowhere near the caliber of person. I, God didn't build me like he built them. And so in that sense, we sort of just kind of disqualify ourselves very quickly because of having that, that ideal in our heads. And, and I want you to put that out of your head because Nehemiah was a normal human being just like us. I love that about Scripture. I love that about the heroes of the Word. And they're people like us. They're people with issues. How many of you got some issues? Boy, that's the best response I've had all morning. 
Heck yeah, Pastor. You want to sit down for a couple hours, I'll go through my list. I mean, we've got some hang-ups, some bad habits. We've got some sins we struggle. We've got some stuff. So, so Nehemiah was just like that, but he pushed all that aside. We're going to find out what God was able to do in and through his life. So at this point, you might be asking, what, what did this guy do? In a, in a summation statement, he dared to bring God's glory back to God's city, Jerusalem. And not only is he, more importantly, restoring the city and the city walls physically, but even more importantly than that, he brings God's glory back to God's people who were living in defeat, shame, brokenness, and hopelessness. Now, you're talking about a people who had given up. Their, their spirits had been broken. They have lived in this situation for so long. They, they've kind of thrown in the towel, and they live life like this, literally just walking around with their heads down. Just shame and defeat. You, you can read people, right, like I can? You can meet somebody and just from, from the exterior kind of tell what's going on inside their lives and in their minds and their hearts and a little bit of what they've dealt with. Being around them just a few moments, you can kind of pick up on, on little signals that kind of tell you who they are and what they're all about. And, and if you would encounter these people, these were supposed to be the people of God, shining bright the glory of God. God's people in Jerusalem, you, if you would have passed by them on the street, you would have picked up on a sense that these people are living in a place of shame, brokenness, and hurt, and heartache. Here's the news flash. There's a lot of people that you encounter right now in your own lives. Here, fast forward all these years ahead, that are still living in that same place for different reasons. But the same situations going on that the enemy has caused them to feel like they are defeated, they are broken, they will never amount to anything, they can never come back from the situations that have taken place in their lives. And so right now, that's where they live. Newsflash again, God's called us as the people who have been redeemed by his glory, by the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ himself, to rise up, to engage those people in the culture that we live in and look them eye to eye and tell them without any hesitation or reservation, there is hope, there is a healer, there is a savior, and he gave himself for you, and restoration and revival is more than possible. It's here for you today. But, but, but look at me. About eight of you got excited about that. The rest of you are like, lunch is coming soon. When he's going to shut up? We need, as the people of God, to grab a hold of this and say, I can do that. That's for me. I will do that. Because I'm going to tell you something. Nehemiah did exactly that. He was the one that stepped up. He was the one that said, I will be a spokesperson. I will go out, God, and do what you're putting on my heart to do. And and that brings me to question number three. Why did he do this? That's the big question. Because here's the reality of it. Millions of other people did nothing for years and years and years. Isn't that amazing? In this particular situation, in the book of Nehemiah, and your homework is to go home and read this this week. Read the whole book and then read it again next week and then read it again the next week as we're in this study. And you're going to find yourself asking here early on, like we're asking right now, why did he do it when millions of others did nothing for years? You know what it kind of reminds me of? Taking the trash out at home. Doing the laundry. You, you got a family, maybe. If there's multiple people in your house, and you ever notice how the, the, the garbage can gets full really quick when there's you know a good number of you in the house all living there together and supposedly sharing responsibility, but... 
People will walk by the trash can day after day after day. As I said a, a couple months back, they will stuff it and jam it and cram it as full as they can. They will either, even sometimes, and put a camera on them sometimes, put, put a secret camera in your kitchen where they don't know you're, you're doing this. They will either even get up there with a foot sometimes and try to mash it down that way because their arms are too weak to push it. It's so full. And you think, that's funny. What about the laundry? It gets the same treatment. People walk by those, those laundry baskets, those hampers in their bathrooms, in their bedrooms, day after day, week after week, and they just ignore it except to put more on it. I'm telling you, who will dare rise up and say, there is a need. We cannot fit another piece of garbage or refuse on this trash can. Somebody's got to rise up, church, and take out the trash. <laughs> who would have ever thought you'd have got that excited over taking out trash? Folks, that's, that's, that's just a little simple, little silly thing we have some fun with. But the reality is, Nehemiah was a man. We asked the question, why? He was a man that saw the condition, that, that realized it. And actually, he didn't even see it firsthand. You're going to hear about that in a moment. But he understood something wasn't right in God's city. Woo! That should get you excited right there. And somebody needs to do something about that. Listen, this, this situation has been going on for about 150-something years. And everybody, millions of people walked by. No one did anything to turn the tide. So why did he? 152 years to be exact. 152 years before that, King Nebuchadnezzar attacked the city and destroyed the walls. Why did Nehemiah come along 152 years later and decide it's time to take out the trash? It's time to do the laundry. It's time to clean house. It's time to restore God's glory back to Jerusalem. Well, here's what I believe in my heart of hearts. I believe it was the Holy Spirit of God that moved Nehemiah, just like God's Spirit moved David to take down Goliath and Jeremiah to, to march around. The, I mean, Joshua to march around the walls and see the walls of Jericho could fall. I feel like that the Spirit of God moved him, compelled him, pushed him and said, it's your time. This is your assignment. Are you going to go for it and make this happen for my glory? I believe with all my heart that's why Nehemiah stepped up. So we, we've got to ask ourselves right now, what is the Spirit of God moving us to do in our own lives? I mean, what is He calling us to? Because you know what, what, I, what I get out of this and what you're going to get out of this is that He left the comforts of the palace of Babylon because of His, his concern for the things of God. And God's people at Jerusalem. He was consumed to the point that it became a burden. He, he could not help but go and put his hand to the task. And, and, and here's what I want you to know. A burden is, is a conviction of the Holy Spirit that grips our hearts and it compels us. It's a conviction that compels us to go and do what God has put on our hearts. Now, we, we, we talk about burdens now in, in this day and time a lot in the sense of, well, lay your burdens down. You know, cast your cares upon the Lord. And that's one side of what we call burdens with those burdens and those shackles and those weights that the world puts on us. That's a whole different separate burden that I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about right now is that somebody catches a heart for something that God's put in their, their spirit and says, I want you to be the man. I want you to be the woman to go and to stand in the gap and to make that hedge around it and to pray and to move and to spring into action. You're the one that I'm calling for this moment in time to go and make this thing 
a reality. And listen to me, you can't sleep. I mean, you can't get rest. You can't get settled in your heart until you go and you do what God has called you to do. I mean, you can't, you just can't get there until it's done. That's what we're talking about, the kind of God burden that he puts on our hearts. And he says, this is your purpose. This is your destiny. This is your moment. Folks, I believe this is what Nehemiah was compelled with in his own spirit, his own heart. For God's glory. And these things are accomplished when we are pushed to our knees about Zion about God's glory, his city. So as we see Nehemiah stirred in these opening verses, we're reminded of some factors involved in the life of a person who, who senses and, and owns that burden that God places there. First of all, it, it brings this question, where do we start when we're burdened? Because you look at a task like that, you look at this great city of Jerusalem, you look at these walls that are, that are broken down, you think to yourself, how in the world can, can I do this? Look at me right now. I don't know what it is that God has placed in your heart and spirit, but I, I believe it's something. If you're a Christ follower, God always says, here, this is what I have for you. He always puts this picture, this burden, this dream, this vision in your heart and your mind. And there's something there, and you just kind of, but, but many, many times you look at it, you kind of get overwhelmed. You say, how can I do so? How can I make that? I don't know if I can, can I have the stuff or I'm able to or whatever. So what do you do as a person who grabs a hold of this burden that, that you sense that God's dealing with you on. Well, verse 1, Nehemiah says this of, of chapter 1. It came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, the, play, the palace, as we have noted, this was not a, a bad place to be, yet in spite of the luxury of his surroundings and situation, we read this in verse 4. Here's what happened with Nehemiah. I sat down and wept, and I mourned. For a number of days. What, what's this all about? What is it that led Nehemiah to this brokenness, this place of, of weeping, of mourning? Where, where did Nehemiah first become this burdened person, this person who was, was catching this burden from God? Well, in this passage, we find that there, there were certain factors that led to his burden, and he reminds us that a burdened person does not reach that condition accidentally or unpredictably. Where does a burdened person first start out? What, what do we do? Well, first of all, he reminds us that a spiritual burden begins with a concern. Isn't that amazing? Just write that down somewhere. It starts with a concern. You see something, and it hits you, and you, you get very concerned about it. It, it. it is very likely that Nehemiah had never even seen the city of Jerusalem in, in, in his life in person. The exile was 70 years ago, and Nehemiah was living a number of years after the first remnant had returned to the city, marking the end of exile. And all Nehemiah knew about Jerusalem had been related to him through relatives and friends. In spite of this apparent disconnect from the city of his fathers, we find that Nehemiah had a deep concern for that place. Because verse 2 says that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah was concerned for the condition of the people and the city itself. His burden was birthed from that concern. And that's what happens to us. I'm amazed that, that missionaries, God just puts a, a city or a town or a country, a nation, and in their hearts just, just some, some way. And many times they have never even actually been there. Sometimes they have. But I'm amazed this is kind of the same scenario that God just, he had never physically visited 
Jerusalem that we know of, but God dropped it in his heart, this deep concern that led to this burden about Jerusalem's condition and the people that were coming back there from exile. That, that tells us this. We don't have to physically step foot into a place, into a situation, in order for God to birth a burden in us. Because we see that here. Nehemiah had this. And then that, that leads to a calling that God puts on our hearts. That leads to, to something of action. Okay, I've got this concern. I've got this burden. Now what, God? And then he begins to point us in a direction of doing something about it instead of just thinking about it and, and, and dwelling on it and, and having it kind of bounce around in our head and our hearts and stuff. Then the next move is, is, is this call. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Nehemiah, Nehemiah would describe his mission as this. And I know I'm skipping ahead, but it's okay. I can do that. I'm the one up here, right? <laughs> okay, verse 12 of chapter 2, he said, I am doing what my God has put in my heart to do. There's the call. Want to know where it came from? It came from heaven itself. That God spoke to this man and said, here is what I have for you to do. Here's your assignment. It was not just emotion, patriotism, religious zeal that stirred the heart of Nehemiah. No, he was being called directly by God himself. Man, I love that. Because that calling after the concern then leads to the capability, the enablement to do it. So whether you see it or not, you know, in, in your life, God's put a call on your heart. Guess what? He will equip you to do what he's called you to do. You ever heard that before? He will give you the anointing and the enablement to carry it out. And listen to me, we doubt ourselves. I mean, we're just like Moses when God called him to lead the children of Israel out. We say, oh God, you got the wrong person. Take my brother, take my sister, take my cousin, my uncle, take my neighbor, take anybody besides me because I can't do this. I can't even put, put sentences together. I don't, I don't speak plainly. I, I've got this speech impediment on and on and on. And, and yet God says, I have called you. I am going to equip you. I'm going to give you the capability and the enablement to accomplish what I've called you to do. Man, I love that. I don't know about you, but that, that makes me feel really good. I'm talking about really, really good. Because some of you that are regulars have been with us a long time, you know my story. I grew up hiding in the background, trying desperately never to be up front in front of people. I was scared, snotless. <laughs> Thought it would be appropriate with what's going around right now. <laughs> We'd like to be that way right now. I, I was so afraid of being in front of anybody, any kind of crowd, any kind of church gathering, any kind of school player production. I was the guy who was like, I'm going to be sick that day. I'm going to hide that day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and, and lock myself. I, I locked myself in the bathroom one time. I remember doing that at, at school just so I could get out of, of a presentation. So that was me. And so fast forward a number of years, and God says, hey, guess what I want you to do with your life? And he drops this on me. I'm like, dude, are you serious? There's no way. You've got the wrong person. Look at all these other people that, that feel very comfortable getting in front of people and, and, and doing stuff, and that's not me. And he said, guess what? It may not be now, but it's going to be. So come on and join the team and get with the program. And, and Nehemiah had this calling and, and this equipping that took place in his life. And so that's where it come from, that concern that led to a call, that led to being capable and equipped and enabled to do it. So then we ask, what, 
what do you see when, when you're burdened? Well, verse 3, it, it tells us this, that Nehemiah's brother and his, and his, his, his companions give to him this, this report. And they said to me that the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction. Would you write that term down somewhere? Great affliction. On your handout would be a great place, just by the way. And not only great affliction, but they were in reproach. What is reproach? That means you're embarrassed. It means you're just, just in, in, in this terrible condition. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. You can write that down. Great affliction, reproach, broken down. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. What a great report. <laughs> How's things back home? Well, they're not too good, bro. Here's what's going on. Wow. It's terrible. Now, how many times we as the people of God have heard things like that and said, man, that's awful. Well, I'll be praying for you, bro. I hope that gets better. And just, zoop, we're gone. I mean, we're all guilty of it, right? I'm holding up both hands. Not Nehemiah. He gets this report, and man, something just grips him. Something just takes over in his life. And as we said earlier, man, all these people had done nothing about it for 152 years, but now this man comes along, and, and this, just, this just rips him apart inside. He saw, look at me, with his, with his mind's eye, this picture of this brokenness, this shame, and this despair. Do we really see what's going on in the lives of people around us? Do we even see it in our own lives at times? We've got to really look deeper than the surface. So what does a burdened person see? Well, they see the reality. Folks, this is more than just a, a bad report and sad news. He hears these words, great affliction and reproach and broken down and burned, and immediately he sees the reality of the situation. Now, notice there's no effort to put a positive spin on it. But, hey, the temple's been, been rebuilt, and everything's kind of good on that end, but, you know, everything else is down, but let's just dwell on the positive. Now, if you know me, you know I'm one of the most optimistic people there is. Some people kind of kid me and say, well, you know, I like to be a realist, and, and you just always see the bright side of everything. I do, but here's the sense of what I see as the bright side. And, and, and tune in here because I want us to end this debate right now. I see as the bright side everything that God can do. I don't dismiss the reality of the situation. It might be bleak. It might be bad. It might be in disrepair. It might be broken down. I don't dismiss that. I don't just rosy over that and, and paint that with a, with a broad brush that says, you know, oh, it's, it's fine. Everything will work out. No, 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 no. I grab a hold of the reality of the situation. And I understand that. But I always want to gravitate as well to the reality that our God specializes in raising the dead and renewing hearts and lives and redeeming those things that are lost and, and going after those things that are broken and, and repairing them better than they ever were. That's the side I like to dwell on. But I don't dismiss the reality. And neither did Nehemiah. He understood this is a bad situation. But there was something in him of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that also understood this is a situation that's going to be changed. This is a situation that's going to be redeemed and going to be renewed, and God's going to bring a miracle, and I'm going to be a part of that. Because he also, along with the reality, understood the residual effects. His burden in these opening verses stems not from a nostalgia or nationalism. His concern is not primarily for the historic city or even the status of his nation. No, Nehemiah's concern is with the broken down city and what it means for the glory of God. 
Look at me, church. He understood that this was about God's testimony. This was about when people came to the city of Jerusalem. They saw this great city of God's glory residing there. Somebody told me this morning they'd never been in this building before as far as I understand. But they walked in the back door during the first song and they said, man, the presence of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. This is amazing. This is powerful. And that's what they wanted to see. That's what Nehemiah wanted to see with the restoration of Jerusalem, that the glory of God would reside there strong and the presence would be undeniable that when people walked to that city or they came by, by horseback or whatever mode of transportation, when they got to the, to the border of the city and even just approaching that, they would sense the glory of God. But I ask this question, do we even care about that anymore? Do we even care enough to pray for what God's going to do on a Sunday morning? And we know we've asked our friends and our relatives to come, and we want the presence of God to be so thick at Connections Church Belmont, man, that it's undeniable that God is there, and he's in the house, and he's in, in the business of changing lives. And when you come, your life is going to be drastically changed. You're going to leave those burdens down at the altar. You're going to watch those chains fall off of you. You're going to watch addiction be shattered. You're going to watch hope rise up inside your life. Do we even care to the point that it compels us to go and do something about it? Nehemiah was that man. He understood the residual effects of bringing God's glory back, back to God's city. So he, he owned the responsibility of saying, yes, sir, to God. I'll be the man who will step up. It's easy to detach ourselves from the larger work of God and miss the personal responsibility that rests upon us to participate in what God is doing. It's easy for that to happen. We see it every day, every week. He would just say, I'll leave it for the next person. I'll leave it for them. They'll take care of that. I don't. But Nehemiah's burden comes from him being able to see his only responsibility was to God and to follow his calling. He is so stirred because he recognized his connection to the need. He said, when I heard these words, then I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. It's as if Nehemiah is already sitting amongst the rubble rather than in the palace. He had already left the palace of the king and in his mind and his heart, he was there at Jerusalem. He moved himself there by the power of God's spirit and said, I am here. It never dawns upon some of us to take personal responsibility. Those with a burden not only see the problem, but they, they, they see the role that they can play in the solution. Don't you love those people? Don't give me those people come, Pastor, we got an issue over here and blah, blah, blah. I just wanted you to know about it. Okay, see you later. Have fun with that. I just started directing all those people to Pastor Scott. About a month ago, I decided, boop, I'm not the complaint department anymore. See Pastor Scott. Here's his card. It'll be easy to get in touch with him. Here's his contact info, all that. He's going to kill me, but that's okay. I've got a few enemies out there. I love those people who come and say, Pastor, there's, there's a situation, there's a need, there's something that, that needs to be changed, and, and here's what I've been praying about, and here's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, yes! Praise God, absolutely. Let's get down to business, and if it needs changing, let's change it. If it needs fixing, let's fix it, and let's let the glory of God shine bright in this situation. Thank you for your heart to help. That's where Nehemiah was. And then so lastly, we ask, what do we seek when this burden grips our lives? 
Because once this godly burden is firmly settled upon a person, what do they do then? Where do they take that, that conviction, that burden? To whom do they turn? And Nehemiah points us to the answer very quickly when he says in verse 4, When I heard these words, then I sat down and wept and mourned for a number of days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Don't you love that? He knew where to go. He didn't jump on his phone and say, man, I'm hitting Instagram with this. All right, people, here's what's going on. Somebody's got to help me out there. Any carpenters out there? Any, any, any welders out there? Any woodworking guys? Any people, you know, I, I need some help. No, he didn't do that. He didn't mess with social media. He didn't get on his phone and say, hey, start the uh, prayer chain up. we got to get No, he said, God, I'm coming to you. And here's why, because he knew in his heart of hearts that God was the one that put this on his heart and gripped his life with it. So he said, okay, God, I am crying out to you. I'm calling out to you, God. I need your help. I need your direction. Listen, we're going to unpack it. We find out later on he goes to the king that he worked for in the palace. He said, I want your permission to go and, and, and govern this area and, and, and lead this restoration project. Will you give me your blessing? And yes, he needed the blessing of the king. But even more so, he needed the blessing of the king. He beseeched, he prayed, he cried out, he called out to God, God, come and help me. God, this is a great need for a great city, for your great glory. Would you come? Would you aid? Would you assist? Would you empower? Would you anoint me? Would you strengthen me? Because we're going to see some stuff is going to happen in the coming weeks. And I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss this. As a matter of fact, you want to share this message with everybody you can after this morning is over with. And you want to invite as many people as you can because God's going to change some lives through this teaching. From his word. But Nehemiah seeks, first of all, the heart of God. The Bible says he fasted and he prayed. You know what that is? That's just saying, God, I'm going to sacrifice one of the strongest things in my life, and that is food. <laughs> How many of you like some, some good food? Man, we got revival happening over here in the student ministry section. Woohoo! But that's saying, you know what, I'm going to put that meal aside. I'm going to not eat for a day. I'm going to not eat for three days, for seven days. Some people have fasted 40 days. How many of you are ready to sign up for that one? Not a single hand in the house. I'm putting mine down. Nehemiah fasted and prayed. He talked to God. He took it to him. Why? Because he wanted to draw close to the heart of God as close as he could push in, as close as he could get. And then we find out he wanted to have the ear of God. Nehemiah says he fasted and prayed, and he, and, he, and he called out to God. Listen, he knew that communicating with the king was where we start with anything. I, I love what John Bunyan said many years ago. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you pray. Amen with that? Doesn't that make sense? Prayer is the starting point. It's the launching pad. And Nehemiah understood that. That's why he bent the ear of God. And for those of you who say, well, God don't want to hear from me. You know, all this billions of stuff he's got going on in the universe and the world and who knows where else. He doesn't want to hear from little old me. Guess what? He asked you to call upon him and pour out your heart and share with him and communicate with him. He created you for that purpose of relationship. And Nehemiah understood that very clearly. That's why the first thing he did upon weeping and crying was call out to God and set himself to fast and pray. He wanted the heart of God. He wanted the ear of God. 
because he knew he needed the help of God. I'm telling you, folks, <laughs> he was in Susa, and his problem was in a far-off Jerusalem. But both cities, one rich, the other poor, one strong, the other weak, one proud, the other broken, were like tiny specks of dust under the canopy of God's heaven. And he knew without a doubt if he didn't have God's help that this place called Jerusalem, this task that God had set him to, was not going to happen. Those with a burden always seek the help of God, recognizing that his supreme authority and ability can accomplish what men cannot do alone. So, I ask this question as we close this time in our service. What is it for you in your own personal life that the Holy Spirit is trying to move you toward? What burdens need to be birthed in us or maybe already have been and we've just kind of been putting them on the back shelf? You ever played that game? God, it can't be me. It's got to be somebody. No, God, thank you, but no, thank you. You can pass it on down the line, you know. What is it? I mean, I don't know what's going on in your heart with, with, with you and, and, and God and your situation, but you do. You're well aware of that. And there's something. If we follow God, if we know him, if we walk together with him, there's always something that he's stirring inside of us, something he's calling us to, something that he's pointing us to, something that he's opening up to us and saying, here it is. Here's your Jerusalem. Here's your task. Here's your assignment. Here's your ministry. Here's your mission if you choose to accept it. So as you close your eyes for just a moment, I ask you right now, right now in this room, outside of this room, what is it in your life? Because I want to share something with you about this congregation. For us as a church body and a church family, it's all about reaching more and more people for Jesus Christ in these crazy last days, seeing lives transformed by the power and the glory of God. And in doing so, it is growing ministries as more of you grab a hold of your callings and giftings to help in the calling to reach more people for Jesus Christ. So that the gospel... And the glory of God will spread and spread and spread and spread. We'll see many lives and homes and families restored and renewed, blessed and changed, transformed, raised up to be strong men and women of God, disciples that are picking up their cross daily and following after Him. That's what ours is as a church body. Mine is ever more so becoming this thing of raising up leaders. That'll grab the baton and carry the torch. As the Lord continues to tarry, it'll say, count me in. I'll rise up. I'll stand in the gap. I'll catch the burden, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want to be one of those forerunners proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to my generation. More and more as the days Slip by, I sense and I see that happening in this congregation. I, I love that. Men and women who will throw off the chains of this world, walk into their destiny as preachers of the gospel in every way that God is, is calling them and equipping them to do just that. If you're in this room right now with your eyes closed for just another moment, and you would honestly say, you know what, Pastor, I don't know Christ in my own heart and life, but, but I'm telling you, God has just done something in me since I drove on this property this morning, and I just can't, 
can't get away from the fact that he loves me that much. And right now I choose to surrender my entire life to him. Call him my Lord and Savior. Make that, that my own that he's promised. Would you just raise your hand across this room and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm giving my life to Jesus right now in this moment. On this morning in February of 2019, how many of you would just raise your hand and say, that, that's, that's where I'm at. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Maybe you're in here and you say, you know what? I <laughs> had something just stirring in my heart and life. I didn't really know what it was, but, man, it's been cleared up this morning. The, the reality that God's calling me just as he did Nehemiah putting this burden that's gripping my heart and my life for this particular area of ministry, this assignment, this, this task, this mission. It's very clear now. I see it. I see what God is doing, and, and I, want to, I want to partner with him. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to be that one at my school. I don't want to be that one at my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my home maybe. Whatever it is, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. God is calling me to rebuild some walls this morning. Yes, ma'am. Yes. How many others? Just slip your hands up and say, that's me. Yes, sir. Thank you. How many? Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, thank you. Maybe you say, you know what? I, I've felt that for a, quite a while, but I've been pushing that away. I've been kind of running from that. I've been kind of sending it on down the line to somebody else. But right now, the buck stops with me. This is my day to stand up, be bold, and say, yes, Lord. I will go. I will do. I will be whatever it is, God. I want to say yes to you right now in this moment. Would you just raise your hands across this room and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, 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 yes. In the booth back here in the, in the, the congregation. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Here's what I want to ask. All of you that raised your hands, would you just come down here? We're going to worship God together. I want to pray with you right now. Would you just make that move? Thank you. Come on. Come on, just, just make that move from where you're at. We're going to pray together. Your family's going to pray with you this morning. We're going to worship God, and, and we're going to finish this time out strong. Would you, would you just come and make your way now? Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on. Right now is the time. Right now. Yes. Thank you. I want some others of you that say, you know what? I want to pray for my family. I want to pray with them. I want to be a part of, of ministering to them right now. Would you just come gather around these folks, surround them, get behind them, in front of them? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. I want everybody else to stand to your feet across this room. And I want others to come and surround your family right now, these, these men and women, these young people that are gathered. If you need prayer, you come and join these. If you want to pray with them, you come and join these. Come on, I need some ladies over here to pray with these precious young ladies. Would, would you come now and be obedient? Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. I want everybody just to raise your hands across this room. I don't care if you come from a a raise your hand background or not. I just want you to raise your hands and in a symbolic act of just surrender to God. I want to raise both hands across this room. I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to stick my other elbow up in the air, but I want us to raise them up high. Lord Jesus, here at the start of this study, the study about a man who dared to stand up when so many had passed by and done nothing. God, he didn't even visibly see the city when you gripped his heart and life to do something, God, that nobody else would, who said, yes, I will go. Yes, I am available. Yes, God, I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how to accomplish it other than saying, Lord, you come and help us. God, that's the heart 
that we want to have as your people. And all across this room, as we have our hands lifted, Lord, even more so than that, I pray right now that our hearts are lifted, our hearts are wide open, and we're willing to say yes, no more being held back by the past of the things that have happened to us or, or hadn't happened to us, God, or, or, or the mentality that we can't, the enemy's lies to us, God, whatever's taking place, this is a new day, this is a new moment, this is a new season, God. Old things have passed away, and behold, right now, all things are becoming new new in you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Let the power of the Holy Spirit grip us and not let us go, God, to move us forward, to send us out, to compel us, God, in every way, in every place that you're directing us to. God, I pray for these folks. Someone raised a hand and said, I need Jesus to come in. Would you would you just do that for them right now, God, as they open up their hearts and invite you to come in and be their Savior and be their God, be their Lord, lead God and direct their lives, God. Transform them, the old becoming new, God. Do that right now for those that may be watching right now that made that same decision, God. Lord, just reach to wherever they're at right now. Your arm is not short that it cannot save. Change their lives now, Jesus. And for these that are gathered at the front of this church, I thank you for their courage. I thank you for their boldness, God. I thank you for their hunger and their thirst, God, to be and to do everything that you have for them, God. And right now, God, I thank you that change is taking place. And Lord, as we worship in this place, through this song right now, God, let everything that comes from our lives be holy and acceptable to you, God. Let it be an offering of praise right now as we sing our songs to you, as we lift our voices, and even more so, we lift our lives and our hearts to you right now in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Would you sing it out to him this morning, church? He alone is worthy. He is worthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.